You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good to be with you all. I have left some Norwegian chocolate over on the table there for you all to dive into. Just get there before Eddie, because if Eddie gets there first, I can't promise you there's going to be anything left. I'm aware that Tom told you a story a while back of um, a paintball when I brutally shot him at point-blank range on the head. And I just want to confess to you that I enjoyed every moment of it. And if the same situation came around, I'd do exactly the same. Sorry, Tom. (laughs) But I have in my notes here, um, just to get me off, this is by grace. Trusting God's word. Trust in God's spirit. Don't overtalk. Stay on topic. Be blessed. Enjoy. Father, we come to your word today, and we just want your word to speak. Amongst all the voices, amongst all the noises, amongst all the shouts, amongst all the messages that we hear in our worlds, we want your word to be the clearest message and noise and word that we've cured ever. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I wanted to start in Matthew 28, verse 8, and the title is, How to Run Your Race with Great Joy. Not just small joy, not just little joy, but great joy. And it says in Matthew 28, verse 8, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. We're going to come back to that. I'm cheekily going to also move on to another text because you read in another text in John chapter 4, 28, a similar account. Then the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So you have a group of women go into the tomb to see a dead body, but finding through an encounter with Jesus that suddenly they run in with great joy to other people to tell them about Jesus Christ. And here we hear about a Samaritan woman who has an encounter with Jesus that causes her to run to a group of men and say to them, hey, I think I've found the Christ. And I want to dive into that text first before coming back to the other text. I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but you can read in the the verses in John chapter 4 that Jesus is purposely planning to meet this woman. If I read some of the verses to you, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made disciples, more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Notice that he needed to go through. He didn't have to go through. He wasn't being forced to go through to Samaria. And if you know the history, the Jews didn't like to travel into Samaria because they were enemies. So to get to Galilee, they would travel the long way round all the time. 
and it became like almost a tradition, their normal routine. But Jesus breaks with that, and he decides he's going through into Samaria to specifically speak to this woman. And she has no idea that Jesus is going to seek her out first. There's a little gospel principle for us to write down in our books. We did not find Jesus. We were not seeking for him. We were not looking for him. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He takes the initiative. And she, she realizes that there's this Jesus who's going to be wanting to have a conversation with her. So we're going to look first at Jesus the man in verse, verses 5 to 9. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Jacob, his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being tired from his journey, he sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day, so very hot, 12 p.m. 12 in the afternoon, yeah, 12 p.m. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For her disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritan people. So immediately when Jesus speaks to this woman, he gets her attention. He presents himself as a tired, thirsty Jewish man, willing to speak to an outcast. Because this woman had some issues, as we'll find out. She had some issues which made her have to come to this well to draw water alone at the hottest part of the day with nobody else. Jesus presented himself first and foremost in weakness. Verse 10 to 14. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the Spirit of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. I don't know if you went down to Tesco's and you were just going to get your normal water, or as Tom would like to get his spring water, or the, 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 water, the sparkling water. And when Tom said to me the other day, do you want some sparkling water? I was like, no, absolutely not. He didn't sell it well to me, and even if he sold it well to me, I still wouldn't want it, because I just don't like it. But imagine if you walked in and somebody said to you, hey, do you want to try this living water? Oh, what, what living water? What does that do? Oh, well, you drink it, you drink it once, you'll never thirst again. It's a gift of God. And when it's in you and deep in you, it's going to spring up into a fountain of living water. Would you buy it? Because like this woman, she's just thinking earthly. She's not thinking spiritually. In many ways, she's spiritually dead. And for many of us, we'd probably just say to the person down in Tesco's, uh, no thanks, I'll just have my living water. Or maybe some of you would just be like, hey, that sounds awesome, I'll have a hundred. And then the person would just say, no, you just need one. Just need one bottle of this living water. But she doesn't quite fully understand what, it, what is this living water that you're talking about, Jesus. The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I might not come here to draw. 
Now here you would think, okay, awesome. Jesus has had a conversation with this woman. She's been a bit confused about what he's saying, but now she's at the point where she says, okay, give me this water. It's almost like, okay, Jesus, you've got her. Give her the water. And sometimes we can fall into this trap maybe in big conferences where there's lots of great music being played and we get people whipped up sometimes into their feelings and there's no gospel presentation. And we would say to them, come to the front to receive Jesus. And hundreds would rush to the front to receive Jesus. Easy deal. And here you would think, come on then, Jesus, just give her the living water. But it's not as easy as that. We don't just get saved by feeling good about Jesus. We get saved by a confession of who we believe Jesus Christ to be after hearing his gospel. So I have no problems with hundreds of people running to the front in a big conference to meet Jesus as long as they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented. And Jesus is not into easy believism with this woman, and he's gonna go a little bit deeper, not just Jesus the man, but Jesus the prophet. In verse 15, the woman said, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst and come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. So now Jesus is going deeper into her heart and her relational problems, and he's wanting to highlight her sin. Fisher goes on to say, I, I do not have a husband. That's kind of like a deflective response. I've answered the question, maybe he's not going to prod any deeper, but he knows everything about her and says, I know that you don't have a husband. And the husbands you've had before, you've had five of them, and the husband that you're now with is not yours. This woman has, you know, we're not talking about just divorce once or twice, we're talking about a woman who has some serious issues with men. Why? The text doesn't tell us, but Jesus is wanting to reveal it so that he can deal with it, so this woman could truly accept and receive from him the living water that he is wanting to give. In coming to Jesus Christ, we must have a clear understanding that he is wanting to highlight our sinfulness. That we're born in sin. We have a sin nature. It is incredibly selfish and self-centered. We have to be able to confess that and see it before coming to Jesus and accepting what it is that he has to offer. I know there is teaching going around today that doesn't do with any of that, that just says there's, there's beauty within you, there's specialness within you, there's awesomeness within you, and that's why Jesus wants to come and save you, to get that awesomeness out. But that is completely opposite to the Bible's message that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and they would call his name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And Jesus moves on with her because she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. So no longer just a man, but a prophet. And she goes on to speak about worship in verse 20. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will, hold on, let me say that again. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Places and buildings are not the most important thing in God's plan for us to offer up true worship. But places and buildings are incredibly important strategically for the mission of God being given out to the nations of the world. I think it's awesome that you've moved here. It's great that you still have a good building that you can use down there. But wouldn't it be wonderful when my eyes one day would not just have to look here, but would have to look there as well. Wouldn't that be awesome? And the only reason why we would want to look there is because we're a church, I'm saying we are a church, that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. The biblical gospel that doesn't change, that never changes throughout the years. It is the same fundamental facts which we're going to find out later about Jesus Christ that saves people from their sins and brings them into a new relationship with him and secures them for everlasting life and fills them, even with the toughest of times, fills them with joy and sometimes great joy. So what mountain, Jesus? Us Samaritans are going to worship in this building. You Jews worship on that building. And Jesus just says, no, it's going to be the location of the human heart in which I will create true worship to the Father. Now here comes the big reveal. Jesus has had this conversation with her, and she says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. It's a little bit ironic, isn't it? It's like me saying, I really wish one day, I just hope as a preacher, I could preach in a town hall. Oh, I can't wait for that day, Tom. I hope you can sort it out next time. <laughs> We're here. And she's saying, oh, yeah, you know, I just there's this, there's this Messiah that's coming. I wonder when he'll come. I wonder what he'll look like. But when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And he's just been telling her all things about her heart. Sometimes, you know, we are slow to believe that the Christ is amongst us. And Jesus just says to her quite simply and clearly, I who speak to you am he. And that is why she suddenly leaves her water jar and rushes off quickly to the men in the village and says, come, I think I found the, the Christ. He's been telling me things that nobody else knows, just me. I think I've found the Christ. Isn't that awesome? But if we go back onto the verse of Matthew 28, 8, it's almost like I wanted to put you on a diving board with Matthew 28, 8, and we've dived off into the pool of this story in John 4, but now I want us to come back out and stand again on that, this diving platform of Matthew 28, verse 8, so that it might prepare us to go and live our daily lives with great joy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, especially in these COVID times. So why were these women running to a group of men with great, with fear and great joy? Jesus had died on the cross. Jesus was dead. 
They'd been with him, they'd seen him, truly, truly dead, a gruesome death. And he was buried. And on the third, the, the next day, they were going to the tomb, and they didn't find a body, but angels spoke to them and said, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where they lay him and go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. And then we read in a couple of verses after that, that as they were going, Jesus met them and said to them, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And he said, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brethren to go to, into Galilee where they will see me. So the woman at the well saw Jesus and she came to know him as her Messiah, but he presented himself in weakness. But here we're seeing a completely different Jesus. We're seeing a Jesus that rose from the dead, that defeated death, hell, and the grave itself, and now he is presenting himself to her and to the small group with her in power and strength and victory. He was God, that's why. Not just a man, but truly and fully God. I mean, if God created this universe, which is so awesome and amazing, once we grasp that, that God created this universe and all that is in it, then it is no hard thing for the God of the creator of the universe to bring himself into the world that he made through the virgin birth, to live as a human being, to die on a cross, and once he was satisfied that the sins of the world could be forgiven, to raise himself up and to raise his son up. That's an easy thing for God to do. It's amazing for us to believe but for God, no problem. And they saw this Jesus who was alive and real and all-powerful and victorious. And no wonder that they would then run to a group of people with great, great joy. How do we run our race with joy? I would suggest to us that COVID, apart from its frustrations and its tensions, it provides us with a wonderful opportunity to stop, to think, to slow down a bit from this life and its messages and its busyness. And I would ask you to look back to Jesus, to his death and his resurrection, and to the moment of your salvation, or the process of your salvation, to stop and to think about those things, not just for a short time, dwell there. Spend some time in there. This is the first time for me back in Britain. Wow, time goes quick. Um, in the last 10 months. And in the summer, eight weeks holiday, I'd normally come to Britain and I just couldn't do it. And two weeks into that holiday in Norway, spending most of the time on my own, it was a huge, huge struggle. And then I came to realize that I couldn't get back to Britain. So now I had another five, six weeks in Norway. And I just remember thinking, God, I can't do this. And I was sat on my floor, no TV on, no mountains, no fishing, even though I love doing those things and they're good to do. And I saw my journals, which I started writing when I first became a Christian. I come out of a drink, drug, football, kind of materialistic party culture. And I heard the gospel preached to me and the Lord saved me and I started writing journals, 26 journals. And I started to read them all, and it took about one week to two weeks. 
but I started to sense real joy coming back as I remembered the day of my salvation. And because of that, I then went and listened to the first sermon that I'd ever heard preached by Steve Hill. And it was just such freshness to my spirit. And then I remember a song that I used to play over and over and over when I was first saved. And it was almost as if I realized, gosh, God, are you bring me back to my first love? Because you realize that this world pulls on me and takes me in different directions. And is it possible that you're creating this space for me to get back to you? It's a wonderful thing when the Lord provides you with time so that you might stop and think and reflect and look back to Jesus, his death and his resurrection and your own salvation. So I realized then in my life, the next five weeks of the holiday were amazing because I was doing it in the joy of the Lord. That was the, the underlying pin. That was my foundation for everything else. And people say to me, how did you get through that? And I said, the first three weeks were terrible. The next five weeks were easy. And if somebody had said to me, you're going to be like this for another six months, I just would have gone, no problem. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8.10, is my strength. For Psalm 46.10, which has become a bit of a scripture for me this year, be still and know that I am God. Hebrews 10.32, but remember the early days when you first believed, when you went through struggle and suffering. So I want to encourage you today, even in these COVID times, cut some time out to think deeply about Jesus, about his death, about the forgiveness of sins, about the fact that he was resurrected from the grave and that he has saved your souls for eternity. Good news? I could stop there. I've got another four pages to go through. But I'm going to stop at a certain time because I think I could stop there and that's enough for you. So what I speak about in the next five minutes is extra. I am not here to like seal the deal for you in all of your faith. I preach the word to you. Now it's over to you. What are you going to do with it? This world that is going to knock on your door for your attention straight away. Are you going to say over the next few weeks or, or next few months, no, sorry, I'm stopping that because I want to think upon Christ. I want to think upon his death. I want to think upon his resurrection. I want to think about how he changed my life and I want to move forward from there. Second point, look forward patiently and eagerly to the return of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. While I was in this COVID-19 period, I was reading 1 Thessalonians over and over and over, and some amazing things just come out to you when you read the scriptures. In the first two chapters, he mentions the gospel, which I've just spoke to you. He mentions that 10 times. So it's almost as if he loads the gospel at the beginning in the first two chapters of 1 Thessalonians. And then at the end of every chapter, five chapters, he loads it up with the return of the Lord. And I'm just going to simply read those scriptures to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 to 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He doesn't just save you from your sins. 
He's delivered you from the wrath of God that is going to come at the end of time when he judges the world. And whether you want to believe this or not as Christians, there are going to be some people who will go into eternity with Christ because they've simply put their trust and their faith in his work on their behalf at the cross. And there will be others who haven't put their trust in Christ but have put their trust in themselves who sadly and tragically will be rejected and will be put into a place called hell which is eternal punishment by God forever and forever and forever because they have rejected the truth of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19-20 For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, our boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our joy and our glory. Before our Lord Jesus that is coming. 1 Thessalonians 3, 13 So that he might establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Gotta cut some time out to think about that. Not just, oh, that was nice, that's interesting, what's next? To think about these verses, to think about what's coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 to 18. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost as if the pattern in 1 Thessalonians is this. Here's what starts your race. The gospel. Do you believe it? And believing it and confessing that starts your journey with Jesus Christ in a new relationship. But what ends the race is the coming of Jesus Christ and his second coming when this world is completely destroyed and remade and new and we live in that world forever and forever and forever and forever without a single trace of COVID or a face mask. Amen. Amen. But that is a Christian truth. It's not pie in the sky. It's not myth. These are solid truths that as Christians we need to chew on and eat and they'll give us great joy. So we need the spotlight of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel to shine on our lives. We need the spotlight of what Jesus is going to do in the future to shine on our lives. And that in its present day should help us in all of our struggles and our tensions and our frustrations to have some joy and great joy in the Lord. Not on the house that I have, not on the mountains that I climb, but my joy is coming from Him and from Him alone and His gospel. 1 John 3, 3 says, Beloved, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves as he is pure. Do you want to kick in with your Christian faith? Do you want your Christian faith to become alive and active and real? Have this hope in you. Because the Bible says, if you've got this hope in you, you'll become pure as he is pure. Things will click into place, even in times of struggle. Page one. <laughs> I'm going to finish. Just with some little tips 
of how we now could run our race with joy. You know, you live in Bowness. This is local church. God wants to reach people through this church, undoubtedly. So there's not just people sat here, but there's people sat there. Wouldn't that be awesome? Do we need to rediscover our joy? Do we really have this joy that the Bible talks about? Have you lost your fear of the Lord? Because it says that they run with fear and great joy. So has God just become too familiar? Is he just like a little tick box? Oh, I've done church. Yeah, yeah, now I'm going to do my other stuff. Or do you have a sense of a healthy fear of this holy God? I like to climb a mountain in Norway called Slogan. And at the base of that mountain, there is a little hut called Patchel Hutta. Patchel was a Scottish man that used to walk in the area. And he loved the area so much that he would do new trails. So in memory of him, the Norwegians called it Patchel Hutta. But this mountain in Norway, uh, this mountain called Slogan, it always speaks to you in the distance and says, come, come and enjoy me. That's what I think when I see it. Come and enjoy me. But when you're coming down, there's a little five-minute section which doesn't say, come and enjoy me and chill. It says, be careful of your next step. Because if you're not careful, I'll kill you. And there's something of that in the holiness of God in which we've kind of lost a little bit. We take him to be so familiar and pally and friendly that there's a part of God that says, come. Oh, come, please do. There's also a part in him that says, be careful. I'm so, so holy that I can burn you up. It's just who I am. It's just who he is. So regain that healthy fear of the Lord. I'm going to go two more minutes. Is it the fact that your mission field is always where the grass is greener? Oh, if I just get there, or if this changes, or if people could just do that, then I'll have the joy of the Lord and I'll tell people. No, friends and brothers and sisters, your mission field is right here, right now. In the jobs that you have, in the people that are around you, in the church that you're in, your mission field is right now, today. It's not where the grass is greener. Have we slowly slipped into just pointing the finger of criticism and just pulling people down all the time and being negative? Does that criticism need to turn into an arm of encouragement and love and compassion as we walk together as a church to fulfill this great commission? And there is a place to speak truth in that, undoubtedly. Are we using Jesus deep, deep down, unknowingly or knowingly? Are we just using Jesus for our best life now? Actually, Jesus isn't about my best life in the future. It's not about this wonderful hope in eternity. It's Jesus, I just want to make sure that you're in my life to give me my best job, my best house, my best salary, my best health. That's why you're in my life, Jesus. And we can easily slip into that in the world that we live in. So don't follow Jesus for your best life now. Follow Jesus for the best life that is to come. For he is a God that is with us. Let's pray.